Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made the chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal. A safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller. I'll take two tomatoes and a cucumber. Poodle pamperer, (laughs) piano tuner, or plumber. Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's January 20th, 2021, a special day in the United States as we have a new president and the first female vice president in the country's history. And we are recording a new podcast as there has been heavy activity in Major League Baseball. The Toronto Blue Jays signed outfielder George Springer. Michael Brantley supposedly signed with the Toronto Blue Jays and then didn't and now re-signed with the Houston Astros. Old friend Jose Quintana signed with the Los Angeles Angels. Jay Happ signed with the Minnesota Twins. And Corey Kluber and DJ LeMahieu signed with the New York Yankees. After months of the Chicago White Sox being one of the few teams doing anything this offseason, we've seen the American League get quite active in a hurry these last five days. And there is the question of what are the White Sox going to do next? Quite frankly, is there a next move? Let's discuss that with the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. The White Sox and Kansas City Royals, to a certain extent, were the only American League teams making additions to their roster. Cleveland and Tampa made significant trades to move major pieces off their team. Uh, But really, the White Sox and Royals prior to, like I said, the last five days uh, were the only teams really adding. And of course, in the last five days, the entire league got busy in a big hurry so what do you make of all this flurry of activity that we have seen? 
it seems like it's basically December and January. You know, things are moving in a nice clip. Uh, free agents are basically getting paid what, you know, most projections, or at least in the neighborhood, uh, what most projections and crowdsourcing estimates and whatnot said they would get paid. There have really hadn't been any um, free agent contracts that have come up where I thought, huh, or like, yeah, it's been mostly within the wheelhouse of either the crowdsourcing or like with the off-season plan project, what um, the, the range of contracts in, in that was. So uh, it's it's kind of uh, refreshing. Maybe it's a month late, but uh, it's nice to see play, good players find homes. It's good to see teams adding. And uh, I, I just wonder how much the Toronto Blue Jays would have been able to do in a non-pandemic year where their home is basically settled before the season. Right. And rumors are, and this is reporting out of Tampa, is that the Toronto Blue Jays could be making their spring training home in Florida their permanent home for the 2021 season. As Canada still will not allow the Toronto Blue Jays uh, to come back home and play their home games in Toronto and be moving in and out of the country uh, during the pandemic. So we're back again for the Toronto Blue Jays uh, to the situation they had last season where they had to play a huge amount of road games before deciding to upgrade the facilities in Buffalo to play their games there. Uh, but right now it does appear that the path for the Toronto Blue Jays is that they will be playing their home games out of Florida uh, and not in Toronto. So for George Springer signing that big contract, good news, no income taxer uh, as long as you stay and play games in Florida. I'm sure that will help. But we'll talk about as far as these flurry of moves and how it impacts the White Sox from an American League standpoint. But I want to talk about the White Sox specifically first, Jim. Uh, and again, with the, the White Sox signing Liam Hendricks, this is what General Manager Rick Hahn said after introducing Hendricks uh, to the media and to White Sox fans when asked regarding the next move he could make this offseason. And he said, quote, it's always another move we feel we can make to get us better. We're going to continue to explore to see if something lines up, but there's no guarantee it will. So if this is, in fact, our group, we feel pretty good about where we sit today. I'm going to err on the side of managing and minimizing expectations. So to quote Hoosiers, our team is on the floor. Now, Jim, that quote from Hoosiers is when uh, actor Gene Hackman's character tells the referee he's only playing four guys in a game. Uh, of course, this is basketball, so you play five on five. Uh, while still having an active player on the bench just to prove a point. The team loses the game. Morale for the team is completely shot. His players hate him. And the city tries to fire the coach until the star player, Jimmy Chitwood, walks through the door to announce his return with one stipulation that Hackman's character remains the coach, of course, in a Hollywood setting. I'm not sure quoting Hoosiers is exactly what Rick Hahn is trying to get at, because um, obviously I don't think he's getting at the fact of I'm going to play, I'm going to have this roster play shorthanded to make a point. Uh, I think ultimately his point is that if we go into opening day with this 26-man roster, I feel comfortable that we're going to compete with the roster that we currently have, that it may not be necessary to make another move. How do you feel about what Rick Hahn had to say, what he might be hinting at 
And is he right? If the White Sox go into opening day with the current 26-man roster, do you see them as American League competitors or at least good competition to win the American League pennant? Uh, I think the reading of the quote, I, I don't think he's intentionally trolling fans and saying that uh, I dare you to fire me and run me out of town. I, I think it is more along the lines of um, he feels like he can compete in and win the AL Central with this team. And, you know, when it, when it comes to the timing, and like I mentioned, this now feels like it's December and in, in January uh, in terms of just the clip and the amount players are signing for, usually this time of year is when you start seeing, you know, players get squirmy or teams start to solve roster spots and the kind of the game of musical chairs dries up a little bit and, you know, decent players are on the outside looking in and maybe didn't have their demands met. And so like teams can kind of swoop in and try to uh, get a guy in a good deal, like a one year make good deal or um, just something that uh, maybe that player wasn't envisioning. But with the timeline set back a month, uh, I just wonder if, you know, the pace of these deals being normal and being basically market value, I think, by and large, uh, it's really not going according to what the White Sox were planning maybe for this time. And maybe that gets pushed back a month and in February, they're looking to uh, make additions for players who have not found homes during spring training. That's kind of my um, my sense of it or, or how I would guess Hans quote, given the context that he didn't want to overpromise after feeling like he overpromised last time when he said, stay tuned uh, about future moves, even though he didn't have one really, at least, you know, according to him, he didn't have one move like ready to go or, you know, on the verge of being done. And he thought he might've been, been out on the limb a little bit, but right now, based on what they have, I think, um, you know, they are like we talked about before a top two, top three American league team. I think when it comes to comparing them against the Twins and the Yankees, they're just a little bit more volatile of a uh, top three team. They have some really young, precocious talent with short track records that you don't exactly know if the league has one more adjustment to make against them or, you know, in the case of Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez, do you tendency to get banged up? Yohan Mankata, same thing. Uh, you know, whether they'll be able to go 150 games or what the depth looks like behind them, but... When it comes to talent, uh, starting nine opening day lineups, yeah, they're pretty much right there. There are three areas that I have circled on the projected 26-man roster, Jim, that I think the White Sox should address before spring training. They are your fifth starting pitcher spot, because right now that's Ronaldo Lopez, and he's going through a throwing motion change. And he's working with uh, the new White Sox pitching coach to sort that out. And they're doing it via video. So we'll see on what that looks like when pitchers and catchers report. And we have spring training streams going on. And we'll get some video clips from the beat reporters. Well, well, hold on. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Maybe we won't get those videos if beat reporters are not allowed to report down in Glendale, Arizona in February. We'll see where that matter is. But eventually when they're playing spring training games and Lopez appears, at, at the very least, then we'll be able to see on how he looks. Uh, so that's one area. And we talked about starting pitching because right now your rotation of the White Sox don't add is Giolito, Lance Lynn, Dallas Keuchel, 
Dylan Cease and Renato Lopez with Michael Kopech breaking some rust and getting back into starting every fifth day rhythm uh, in AAA. The other is backup catcher. I am just going to be blunt. Zach Collins is not a catcher. Your Mercedes is not a catcher. Sebi Savala could fake it defensively. He cannot hit at the major league level. You can try to tell everyone and convince everyone that you got three catchers competing for the backup catcher spot. I look at that situation and say you have zero catchers right now internally that I feel confident that could be a viable backup to Yasmani Grandal for the 2021 season. And then you have the DH situation. I mentioned your Mercedes and Zach Collins. If you want to give them at bats to start the season until you feel confident that Andrew Vaughn has seen enough advanced pitching in Charlotte to call him up and start making him the primary DH in 2021, I am fine with that because it gives one last opportunity for Mercedes and Collins to prove their abilities on the major league level before they fade into the shadows and maybe they get traded or DFA'd and we never talk about them again with the Chicago White Sox. So that those are the three areas that I am most concerned with on the 26-man roster. And when you look at those three areas, again, what am I talking about? I'm talking about backing starting rotation. I'm talking about a backup catcher and who's going to get the majority of at-bats at DH. If those are your three biggest roster holes, I think you're doing pretty damn well as an American League team. But they are three holes that I see in the roster, gym, And I think these are the three areas that Rick Hahn and the Chicago White Sox should address before spring training starts. Yeah, I wrote about it in, in, in those three spots in particular. And I basically came with the conclusion that, you know, no roster, at least few rosters are complete uh, and have ideal solutions for every single spot, one through 26. I think if they solved two of the three, they'd be fine. You know, if they went with, uh, like, say, you know, and I'm just throwing this name out because Jose Quintana signed elsewhere, but, you know, Garrett Richards, if they signed somebody like him to be that fifth starter, um, to make Lopez prove that his mechanical changes actually result in better uh outcome like I'm thinking like Carson Fulmer who changes delivery a lot of times and and really didn't make a difference yeah with Lopez I think he needs to prove it uh before really throwing responsibility on his shoulders but say they they sign Garrett Richards and then they sign like some you know backup catcher like Jason Castro or something like that for two million then you know maybe you can get by with Mercedes and Collins especially like if it's a situation like last year where they have 28 or uh, yeah, 28-man roster or 30-man roster uh, early on if uh, vaccinations aren't complete and they want to have the same uh, ability to have extra guys on hand. Like, that would be ideal, I think, for having that Mercedes-Collins platoon at DH, you know, having two guys who uh, probably take the same bench spot and, and, and would normally uh, force the other out. You know, having one of them or, or both of them on the roster uh, to fill extra bench spots and be basically like the perfect platoon DH for their uh, uh, strengths and weaknesses, that would be, you know, I think good enough. Uh, I know a lot of people are bullish on Andrew Vaughn. I'm hoping that's the case, but I would like to see him at least get a month in the minors to show that he can damage pitching that's try- out there to embarrass him. Uh if they only solve one of the three, then I think it's kind of uh, cavalier because just, you know, we've been talking about it and I, I uh, 
well, I mean, by my standards, I should say I'm not necessarily the king of the viral tweet, but just I, I got, yeah, my my mentions were flooded because I suggested that the White Sox could do better and spend more. Uh, I, I think if they don't sign, or, or if they don't sign uh, players for two of those three positions and get that payroll up to like 135, 140 million, uh, I think it's fair to ask what they're doing. I just, with these three holes, again, you could walk into opening day and you could feel confident in the American League Central because right now your only competition, projected competition, is the Minnesota Twins. The Cleveland Indians are going to be annoying to play against because it's going to be tough to score against them. But their offense is terrible, and I don't know how they're going to score runs. And Kansas City and Detroit are going to give a lot of young guys shots, and they may be frisky, uh, but they're still a couple years away, in my opinion, from being competitive in the American League Central. And with the Twins now just finally doing something, uh, it hasn't taken a whole lot for the Chicago White Sox to improve as far as the roster, making three moves uh, to put them as the... Let's call them the favorites to win the American League Central in 2021. So you can go into opening day with that starting rotation. And you can go to opening day with Zach Collins as the backup catcher and Yerva Mercedes as the DH. I'm just going to be advising and warning everyone. These are the three spots that are going to be on the must-address list in July prior to the trade deadline. Uh if they don't get any better and if they are going to, what's going to stop the white Sox to win the American league central, it's going to be tougher to address those three areas in July, because now you're going to try to trade prospects. And we know the white Sox farm system isn't deep enough to address all three, but you can address all three right now in free agency and trade while you can. That's the point that I'm making is that man, if you just, Spent $10 million more million, you can make this roster stronger, Jim, in my opinion. And I don't think $10 million is asking a lot. Yeah, uh, it was it was funny. Like, I got a lot of comments. Then uh, the chief woke up, so I was on puppy duty for, like, next hour and a half. By the time I got back to my phone, just it was too much. But I think, like, you know, one of the prevailing sentiments is, you know, that we are expecting, you know, there's like a level of savvy with White Sox fans, just like, oh, you expect Reinsdorf to do something? Like, you know, just, you know, it's this is at every winner. Why are you surprised? Like, it's, that's not the point. It's also, like, not the point that we're expecting them to challenge the luxury tax. We're basically asking for, like, a median payroll. Like, a median league payroll for this year, which doesn't seem ridiculous, and it doesn't seem ridiculous to ask that uh, you know, or expect that because, you know, Rick Hahn says the money will be spent and he just watches every premium free agent pass him by and, and, you know, basically undermining the whole idea of resetting the payroll. I mean, you reset the payroll in order to be able to afford one big contract that solves position need. And there really is right field has been and will be a position of need. Like, I guess you can dream on Yolki Yo- uh, Cespedes if you want to, but I mean, like he's, you know, hasn't played stateside ball yet. The White Sox have not matriculated a standard uh, international signing past Birmingham. Like they, you know, they, they got Mike Rodolfo there, but you know, all the, you know, the, the feathers in Marco Patty's cap are Luis Robert, who signed a contract you can't sign anymore, and Jose Abreu, who was a, um, you know, basically Babe Ruth of Cuba, 27 year old. So he's, you know, there, there isn't anybody like him, but like, you're talking about like teenage prospects or prospects signed for two million, two million or so. Like he just doesn't 
you know, the White Sox haven't been able to run those guys up to all, to all of a sudden say like, we don't need George Springer. Uh, you know, Cespedes is coming, you know, maybe as soon as 2022. It's like, yeah, you know, I'd like to see just one of their normal prospects actually do that, you know, beyond that kind of timetable before, uh, you know, committing a whole future timeline to him. But yeah, I, I, so I think there's the idea that like, you know, the White Sox fans don't deserve or don't think they're ever going to get, get a, even a median payroll, which is depressing. And there's also the idea that like, um, you know, it's okay to have two good guys at one position. Like, I think the White Sox are so used to running out one ply rosters where if everything goes well and everybody stays healthy, they'll be fine. But as soon as one injury hits the lineup screwed up, they don't have on base guys. They don't have a, a full complement of outfielders. They're short in the rotation. They're yeah, just their, their roster collapses with one or two bad moves. And so to have like, you know, like say Michael Brantley, who just, you know, he signed with the Astros, but to use him as an example, like, you know, Michael Brantley, he's, uh, you know, what are you going to do in the second year when Andrew Vaughn needs to come up and Eloy Jimenez in left field? Like, well, I don't know. <laughs> right now, you have two good bats. Like, let's enjoy that. You know, let's enjoy the uh, idea of having lineup balance and depth. And then if you happen to have the problem of three good players for two spots, maybe you trade it. Maybe you get transactional. Maybe you figure out which one, uh, uh, you know, you, you think you can get the most for to reshape your roster and to break up a log jam and... Uh, reallocated but just you know the the idea of having you know it reminds me of back in 2005 like the original blogosphere uh when the white Sox were trying to trade for the good version of ken griffey jr and like the you know a lot of people are saying where would he play and just like it doesn't matter <laughs> like if you can get a good player on a good deal and you don't have a complete login jam if you just happen to have like maybe a roster conundrum like four months or you know uh, maybe like eight baseball months from now that's a good thing, <laughs> you know, if they can afford it, uh, you know, it, it's nice to have the idea of like, if, uh, you know, Eloy Jimenez runs into a wall, you can throw Michael Brantley out there. Terrific. Andrew Vaughn come up. Uh, it, it's still in, uh, they're still in good shape. Like that's, uh, I think the other thing that just two things that drive me nuts, uh, settling for a median peril and defending the White Sox for not, uh, spending money when Rick Hans, you know, it's like a bait and switch. You know, he said like the money will be spent. Uh, and then he doesn't spend the money and people get mad at the people pointing out that he didn't spend the money. That's weird to me. So I just, I, I, I think, uh, yeah, I was able to unload some grievances and then people, uh, unload their grievances about me. So it was an interesting back and forth. Again, though, with these three spots, as you mentioned depth, if Yasmani Grandal slides into second base and twists his ankle and he's out two weeks, you got Zach Collins and your Mercedes as your catchers. That's a huge drop-off. Yeah. If you go into spring training and Ronaldo Lopez has zero command, who's your fifth starter? You're going to have Michael Kopech as your fifth starter? The dude hasn't pitched since 2018. We don't know if he can handle every fifth day outing. You could be walking into 2021 with four starting pitchers. And by the way, we're not speaking enough of what happened to Dallas Keuchel to end the 2020 season as his back started barking up on him and 12 starts into the season. And now we're going to try to expect him to make 30 starts into 2021. And then on the DH side, what if your Mercedes is Daniel Polka and he's like one for 40 in April and you're getting nothing out of that spot after the first month of the season, then what? I'm sorry, White Sox fans. There are not enough depth right now. There's not enough depth right now with this team 
to suddenly go to plan C and feel comfortable about it. I don't know what plan C is in the starting pitching spot right now. Plan B is Michael Kopech, and he is there to replace the starting pitcher who's not performing well or a starting pitcher that gets hurt during the season. I've got no clue who plan C is in the starting pitching front. Catching, I've already mentioned it. I don't think they're catchers in the major league level. So I don't even think there's plan B right now for the Chicago White Sox on that front. And DH, you're biding time for Andrew Vaughn. That's what you're doing. A, you're one of your top position player prospects who hasn't played higher than Winston-Salem. Hasn't played in double A. But sure, let's throw him, let's throw him to the wolves in the major leagues and see if he works out. This could be a Courtney Hawkins situation real quick if he struggles uh, to start the 2021 season and he doesn't seem like he's ready to face Major League Pitching. And this is what I'm getting at. Like for $10 million, I think you can address two of the three. And you know what? Out of the out of the, the three spots, find a starting pitcher that will sign for 6 or $7 million. Find yourself a backup catcher and then go into spring training saying my team is on the floor because I would feel a lot more confident about your chances to at least survive the first half of the season. And then you can address the additional roster holes that pop up or areas of improvement. As you mentioned, Jim, uh, by the July trade deadline. But right now, Rick Khan, if you're walking to spring training, feeling confident, my team is on the floor, man, You better be praying to the baseball gods asking for good health every single day because you're going to need it. You will need it. Anyone that we have mentioned, Grandal, Robert, Jimenez, Abreu, Anderson, any of those guys get hurt, Uh, Mankata, and they've all gotten hurt at some point and have missed significant time. If they do early, that can that could pop your balloon to compete in the 2021 season in a hurry. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, that's, I think one of the toughest things about last year and just the, um, you know, the, the second wave or the next wave of prospect depth, you know, the White Sox have four in the top hundred and they're four good prospects. And uh, you know, nobody doubts like the part of the list from, you know, uh, Andrew Vaughn through Garrett Crochet. Like that's, those are four look like decent to great major league players. Uh, terrific. But then like mm-hmm. the, the wave behind that, like, you know, I'm thinking like Blake Rutherford being like the next outfielder in the minors or, you know, Nick Williams, I know they signed him to a, uh, a non-roster uh, invitation to spring training. And like, they, you know, that's good. And, you know, Charlotte needs outfielders, but just like Charlotte needs a lot of players right now. Like they don't have a whole lot of uh, guys. Charlotte shouldn't need outfielders. Honestly, Jim, Charlotte should not need outfielders because if player development was worth a damn with the Chicago White Sox, your outfield in Charlotte would be Blake Rutherford, Luis Gonzalez, and Mike Rodolfo. But yeah, that's not and, the case. Yeah, the infield's going to be thin. Yeah, there's just like a, a lot of issues around Charlotte. Like it, it, that filling out that roster, I think, is going to uh, rely heavily on NRI types. So it's it's uh, it's a good ro- – and, and yeah, that's a tough thing about talking about is that I understand – why people are annoyed with me slash us and saying like, this is the best team, the White Sox, the best, like most projectable team. The White Sox have uh, trotted out in you know, more than a decade. Like even the 2005 team didn't uh, project all that well. Um, you know, that's a case where 
all the players stayed healthy, all all the you know the the one ply roster delivered, the one ply rotation uh, delivered, and it was uh, just you know the the results were amazing. But trying to capture that magic over and over and over again is what uh, just led Kenny Williams here to ruin and and uh, stalled the first rebuild too. So that's why I think uh, you know, having written about all these mistakes and having podcasted through uh, you know, half of those mistakes because this is our eighth season of doing that i've been doing this for 16 years now it's like yeah just this is my experience of having seen the way white Sox rosters come up short and the yeah uh the the hazard in pulling up now when you know like as you said 10 million 15 million if you get if you want to set your sights higher like that would fill out the roster basically to be uh, more than satisfactory. You know, there, there's still the issue of not having, you know, like Charlotte's roster really set. But I mean, as far as what you could expect to accomplish in an offseason without like breaking the bank, that would be pretty good. I would be pretty happy. It, it, it would be hard to complain based on the uh, the desert we've been wandering through uh, for the last decade or so. Um, but, you know, it's just, I've uh, written about these mistakes. I've been optimistic. I've had my optimism uh, shattered like over and over again. Like, so I, I've shifted the benefit of the doubt to them rather than, uh, trying to, you know, mine for upside myself. And, uh, I guess that's where I'm coming from. No, I get it again. 10 million. It's not a lot of money. They'll bump your team payroll to 135 million, which is right around where it was going to be last year before the pandemic hit. So you were comfortable then until the pandemic yeah. hit. I, I think that's that's it. That's my if I were in the White Sox front office and I got a chance to speak to Jerry Reinsdorf, that's what I would ask Jerry. Jerry, I need ten million. Even someone like Adam Wainwright, just to bring in to another ally in the clubhouse for Tony La Russa. And he made starts in April and May for you. I, I I'd feel a lot more confident about this team. But again, the core is there. It's just you're at this stage of trying to improve on the margins and to provide depth. And I'll keep banging this drum. There's three areas back in the starting rotation, because if you don't like Ronaldo Lopez, he's your fifth starter right now. Backup catcher and who's getting the bulk of the DH at bats to start the season until Andrew Vaughn gets called up. Those are the three areas. Now on Twitter, Jim, our show poll, I asked White Sox fans, if the White Sox are truly done spending, which best describes your mood about this offseason? Thrilled because they got Lance Lynn, Adam Eaton, and Liam Hendricks? You're content with what they've done? Disappointed or angry? And we've had over 1,400 votes, so this has been one of our more active polls. And it's been very active with the replies as well. But if I asked you for what your mood so far, Jim, if Rick Hahn stays true to his word that his team is on the floor, if the White Sox don't make any additions from now until spring training, what would best describe your mood? Thrilled, content, disappointed, or angry? Disappointed. That is the majority answer right now, and I'm a bit surprised. It is 44% disappointed. 39% are content. 10% are thrilled and 6% are angry. So if you combine the thrilled and content because that's more on the happy side and disappointed and angry is more on the uh, upset side, 
It's a uh, it's fifty to forty nine right now. As far as forty nine percent of the F- White Sox fans are happy, and fifty uh, percent of White Sox fans taking our poll uh, want more out of this off season. So it's pretty split. Well, how's the electoral college uh, breakdown? Yeah, I, I should set that up, shouldn't I? <laughs> Topical. Uh, yeah. Well, when looking at the percentages, though, between like uh, content and disappointed, I think, you know, that's more or less my ex. Uh, yeah. When when I clicked on the poll and and checked on it, like at the, the brief five seconds I had while looking for your tweet, like thinking like it feels like it's between those two. And sure enough, like, you know, it's right now it's 39 percent content, 44 percent disappointed. I think that's you know, fair if you flip those percentages and had. 44% content. Like, I think that's basically where they are. Like, especially in the context of the American League and the American League Central, like, I would say content with the division, uh, disappointed with the bigger picture. I think that's one way to look at it. And, you know, I, I think it's disappointed too, because like, if we're treating them as like in the clubhouse, like if you think of it as golf, like, and they're sitting in the lead in the clubhouse, like, you know, other teams might still have like 10 holes to play. <laughs> they might have, you know, uh, you know, plenty of opportunities to get like four or five birdies, make up the strokes they need in order to, uh, you know, tie it up, be right back in it, you know, push it to, uh, um, extra holes, like just whatever, you know, the, the K, you know, whatever, you know, metaphor or, you know, however long you want to stretch out that, uh, analogy for it just, uh, if they're done it, I think it just, you're content and you're hoping you don't end up disappointed, which I think is, uh, uh, the the issue and i think you know with the two to three moves we've been talking about i think that's the word you'd move into sure you'd lock in content and uh it wouldn't that wouldn't be contingent on what the rest of the league does and we again some of the replies that we got uh from tom paints he tweeted to us i'd be disappointed i think there are some free agents available that could help this team the white Sox still need a starting pitcher and there are more than a few available that are better options than what the White Sox have. Uh, I agree with you, Tom. Uh, Shane Harmon, our friend down in New Zealand, his current mood is disappointed, but I don't think they're done if they add Garrett Richards and let's say Tommy LaStella. His uh, attitude would improve to content, and if they added Marcella Zuna, he would be thrilled. I'm with you, Shane. And then uh, Melissa, uh, Melissa underscore Shy Sox tweeted to us, uh, she would feel disappointed I like the moves they have made so far a lot, but they still have needs and the payroll still isn't high. They need a starting pitcher and a backup catcher at the very least. So many free agents still that could help this team. And uh, I agree with Melissa and I agree with Tom and I agree with Shane. And I think that is a, it is a good, it's, it's sports fans. You should always be wanting more Yankees fans live the dream year in, year out. They are World Series contenders. There are Yankees fans who are 25 years old that have never experienced a losing season, okay? Like, the bar is set so high, and they have it so good, and they have the expectation to win a World Series championship, and their franchise and their team in the front office is going to do whatever it takes to put themselves into that position. Unfortunately for White Sox fans, we don't have that same level of expectation from ownership and the front office. And, uh, it, but I still think it's fair to be wanting more, especially what they dragged fans to go through to get to the point that they're at right now, as far as through the rebuild and some really ugly and terrible baseball. 
in 2017, 2018, and 2019, and getting a little taste, a 60-game taste of what could be bigger and better, I think is what's driving that hunger for White Sox fans, Jim, of wanting more in 2021. And Rick Hahn has done a good job getting Lance Lynn and Liam Hendricks. They will go a long way to make this team better. But White Sox fans are still hungry. And quite frankly, I don't blame them. And I think the White Sox should continue to add. Yeah, I think part of the reason, too, it's a little bit unsatisfying is that, you know, Lance Lynn uh, only under contract for more year. Adam Eaton, the other solution for right field, under contract for one year. Like, what happens to those spots afterward? Um, you know, that's not to say like, uh, oh my God, what's going to happen? Like, you know, that's it, not necessarily panic. It's just, uh, unresolved. And this is the kind of case where I, you know, I've, you know, I use the term super solve a problem, like just, you know, spend that nine figure contract finally on a guy like George Springer, you know, like to, you know, and I guess we can save him for maybe after the break, uh, we talk about some signings, but like George Springer or whatever, you know, that, that, that level of contract, like that's, that takes care of 2021 and 22 and 23 and 24. Like you, you just you don't have to worry about that the rest of the way. Like the way the White Sox have solved it, it's just like, yeah, it's good for one year. Then what? And I think that also, you know, makes it yeah, harder to sustain yourself on, you know, on the additions for this year alone. Well, as Jim mentioned, there are moves around the American League uh, that are making teams better. And obviously that'll make it the White uh, a lot more difficult for the White Sox to win the American League pennant, uh, if not the American League Central, as the Minnesota Twins have added, but uh, it might be to the White Sox benefit. So we'll discuss what the other American League competitors are doing after a quick word from our sponsors. Everybody should definitely come to Baltimore. We have a way of speaking to each other through food. It's really renewed for me, my love of what I do. It's going to take something far stronger than a pandemic to defeat us. All of these businesses are taking precautions to make sure that everyone is safe. We're ready. See what we've got going on. Plan your visit at Baltimore.org. When you rely on the Internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. And as we talked a lot about as far as the Chicago White Sox and really making our case on why they should continue to add, even if it's just like $10 million to add more to their payroll to address the starting pitching depth, to address backup catcher, and possibly maybe address the donated hitter spot. While we're doing that, there have been some major moves made with the other American League teams, starting with the Toronto Blue Jays, signing George Springer to a six-year, $150 million contract. Big contract for the Toronto Blue Jays after it was rumored from New York media that the New York Mets had offered a six-year a $125 million deal. Toronto had to go above and beyond that to get Springer signed away from Queens. Michael Brantley was rumored on the morning of January 20th to be following Springer and signed with the Toronto Blue Jays. And then quickly that was reversed and he wasn't going to sign with the Toronto Blue Jays. And then, you know, a few hours before we recorded this podcast, 
Michael Brantley re-signed with the Houston Astros for a two-year, $32 million contract. Jose Catana, old friend, is reuniting with his former manager with the Chicago Cubs, Joe Madden, as he signed a one-year, $8 million deal with the Los Angeles Angels. Jay Happ signed an $8 million deal to pitch for the Minnesota Twins. And in addition to these moves, Corey Kluber and DJ LeMahieu signed with the New York Yankees uh, this past weekend to, to help out as far as the Yankees that front. They really needed LeMahieu as LeMahieu was a huge factor getting the Yankees into the postseason last year, carrying them offensively for weeks, it seems. And uh, we'll see what Corey Kluber can prove uh, after dealing as far as with his shoulder injuries and the Yankees needed that starting pitching depth. But Jim, let's start with George Springer. He was the ultimate dream this offseason. Somebody that we had an eye on even last offseason when the White Sox acquired Nomar Mazzara. Our friend Patrick Nolan wrote about it on Sox Machine. If the Nomar Mazzara trade doesn't pan out, the White Sox can maybe use this as for, for a year in 2020 and go after a big fish like Mookie Betts and George Springer. That did not come to fruition at all, as Sprainer will play in center field for the Toronto Blue Jays. You wrote about this on Sox Machine after the signing settling in a little bit. I don't want to say disappointed, but did the White Sox miss another opportunity to address right field in a significant way? They did, and you know it, it's... You know, given that Springer is in his th- you know, early 30s and he'd be three, he'd be playing through his age 36 season with this contract. It makes it easy to second guess because there have been some bad contracts for players signed, you know, around that age. Um, you know, maybe the worst ones are a bit older, or for players who aren't as athletic as Springer, who can play center field and runs well and and takes walks and and does everything you want. Um, it's just, you know, with the way the White Sox have managed this whole, um, you know, free agency and, you know, wiping the payroll clean in order to add, the, the tough thing about it is just like, you know, we've seen the market bend to the White Sox. Well, we saw it happen with Manny Machado. Um, you know, basically, Machado's just hoping somebody meet his terms. 10 years, $300 million. White Sox would only go 8 and 250 with, you know, benefits or, or incentives that he would have to meet. And uh, they didn't give him what he wanted. San Diego did. San Diego signs him. They're happy with it. Bryce Harper signs for 13 years. And while it's an incredibly long time, it's just like that kept his average annual value palatable, like uh, 27 million or so topping out at. Uh, so that's not terrible. And uh, But, you know, it's a really long contract, so maybe you don't like that. And then, you know, Garrett Cole pops up and Yankees, you know, uh, pick him up, um, you know, just immediately spend the money that the White Sox wouldn't spend. And now it comes down to George Springer, who is now signing a six-year, $150 million deal. And it's possible, given that Toronto had to pay an uncertainty tax, basically, with uh, their situation, not knowing where they're playing. Uh, it seemed like Springer's side wanted somebody else besides the Blue Jays to get involved and eventually got the Blue Jays to up their offer. But if the White Sox came in for six and 140, would that have gotten the job done? Like, $140 million, we're not going anywhere. We're going to be contending. You're playing right field um, in maybe center if Luis Robert gets hurt. Uh, you're a great fit. We need walks. Like, sign with us. I imagine that would have gotten it done, or at least it's easy to imagine that happening. Maybe they'd have to go 152. But even if that's the case, like, you know, it's not the ideal contract, but it's six years, it's $150 million. You're, you're not signing him into, you know, age 40 or beyond. It's like, 
if you're going to, you know, sit at the table, you know, at the big boys table, like that's the kind of deal you have to sign. And that's the kind of bad years you have to risk encountering. And they just wouldn't do it. Like, so we've seen them uh, balk at mega contracts. We've seen them, uh, you know, not even compete with, you know, big contracts for pitchers. And now we're not even seeing them, you know, just uh, offering for contracts that are expensive, but not all that long for star caliber players. And so that just kind of, you know, underscores the idea that they're just, they, they never had it in them to compete on this level. And so, you know, why would you wipe the payroll that severely if you're not going to add that deal? And, uh, you know, I've seen people bring up like the, the Jason Worth contract uh, for the Nationals. He had a seven-year deal and he was good for about halfway through and then fell off. But like the thing about the Jason Worth deal is that he was good enough to help the Nationals get good and... Uh, permanently raise their payroll level. Like Worth was the best player they could sign at that point. They signed him. Uh, they, you know, they added Strasburg, they added Harper, they they got good. And and then all of a sudden, you know, that that Worth contract, while inefficient and ugly, uh, wasn't that big of a deal. They could play him. They had enough talent to uh, you know absorb him in the lineup. They had enough young talent to offset his contract on the books. And, you know, his last few years were not great, but nobody really had regrets about the deal when you read about it now. And I think that's how you have to look at a deal like this is like, yeah, maybe Springer is only good for half of it in the last two years or a slog. But at that point, you're hoping that the White Sox are not a $130 million payroll. You're hoping they're 160, 170, that they're uh, a major market team or at least a top 10 payroll team on a reliable basis. Fans are happy. Uh, you know, Springer helped them accomplish a pennant or two. And uh, what happens in the back half of the contract is more or less incidental. And I just think White Sox fans, just based on the lack of success the White Sox have had, uh, their lack of willingness to spend, just don't have the imagination to picture that payroll elevating on a permanent basis uh, over the course of the next decade. So I think that's a, I think the reason why I'm frustrated about the Springer thing is like Springer himself, like, you know, if the White Sox signed him, the White Sox didn't like, I'd be okay with it. Uh, but just like, just their lack of competing for any of these free agents over the course of three years just makes me think like they just don't have the appetite. You know, like, you know, as I've said before, like Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't believe in spending money to make money. And Rick Hahn is terrible at making him money to spend. So that's where we are. I think if even if the White Sox offer six years, $150 million and match the Toronto Blue Jays, Jim, I think he signs with the Blue Jays because he can play center field. Uh, I don't I don't think that's that big. I think that's something to market himself with. Like I'm thinking Manny Machado marketed himself as a shortstop. I think it's worth emphasizing that he can play center, but I think, you know, if he wants the right situation, I think right field and playing center if Luis Robert gets hurt, if he you know, needs a break, if he's you know, running uh, cold like he did last year, just like there are opportunities to the, play. The biggest concern of the White Sox never really being in the George Springer market. And now, you know, as you mentioned, missing out on Bryce Harper and not getting an opportunity with Wookie Betts is that there really isn't a long-term right field solution. And now White Sox fans are now quickly – transitioning to, well, maybe Oscar Colas would be the long-term right field solution if the White Sox signed him in the next international signing period. And uh, I feel like it's kind of a long shot. I mean, we're talking about proven major league all-stars who play at an elite level already within the league. And you're pinning your hopes and dreams on a long-term right field solution 
for someone that plays in Japan. Uh, I, I, it's not the same. It's, it's really not the same. And that's why I asked the question that if the White Sox miss an opportunity, I feel like this might have been their last opportunity unless you want to start convincing yourself that maybe Chris Bryant could be a right field option for the White Sox. Uh, but again, he's a Scott Boris client and Boris and the White Sox don't have the most rosy relationship uh, between the two. So I don't, I think that's a bit far-fetched as well. So I think right field, I mentioned this when they signed Adam Eaton, we're going to be talking about right field next off season. And I feel like we're going to be talking about right field for many off seasons to come until the White Sox finally figure out this position. Right field has become the new third base. If you have been listening to us for a while, Prior to Todd Frazier and prior to Yohan Mikata switching from second to third base, this is how we talked about third base with the Chicago White Sox since Joe Creedy to Todd Frazier. And and now that is the right field where I just don't know what the White Sox are going to do long term in right field. Uh, Michael Brantley, I thought he was he would be the perfect addition to the lineup, but Ultimately, he did get himself a really good deal. Two years, $32 million to get $16 million per season. He's actually going to give himself a raise uh, as he was only paid uh, $14 or $15 million in 2020. Uh, So good for Michael Brantley, and he'll stay in Houston. Uh, Breaks my heart a little bit, but in two years, $32 million to continue to stay and play for a team that he's obviously comfortable with because he's already signed one deal with. Uh, that would have been hard to beat. Uh, Jose Katana and J-Hap. So Katana signing with the Angels. I know that you alluded to this in your column on Sox Machine, that it's not the end of the world the White Sox didn't sign Katana because they can, instead of you know continuing the path like Adam Eaton with retreads and bringing back old friends to the roster because they know them, uh, that seems to be the, the standard price right now for a starting pitcher on that level of Jose Katana is $8 million because that's what Jay Happ signed with the Minnesota Twins. And I teased this before the break. I think this benefits the Chicago White Sox, Jim, because mm-hmm. if the American League Central teams want to continue to sign and add left-handed starting pitching to their staffs, please do so because that only benefits the White Sox in a huge way. Yeah, Tim Anderson liked that tweet. <laughs> Tim Anderson rakes against J-Hap. I'm sure he is salivating for the opportunity. But if this is like a Rich Hill situation, the White Sox may never see J-Hap during the 2021 season. Uh, Rocco Baldelli may purposely hide J-Hap or go bullpenning in those days against the White Sox lineup that we won't get an opportunity to see J-Hap uh, face the White Sox. And to be honest, I wouldn't blame Rocco Bedelli if he did that. And then finally, with the New York Yankees uh, signing Corey Kluber and DJ LeMayhew, you know, the Kluber market, Jim, was a bit interesting. So he throws in front of everyone. People are excited about him. And he ends up getting $10 million. So a little bit more money than Quintana and Jay Happ. I thought for a moment that maybe Kluber could be a possibility for the White Sox. Again, they're very familiar with him. He's had a lot of success against the White Sox, but it sounded like his preference uh, was wanting to stay on the East Coast. So when you see pitchers like Katana, Hap, and Kluber, 8 to $10 million, and going back to our previous conversation before the break about, man, if the White Sox can just spend $10 million more uh, to approve their roster, 
if they have if they want to improve as far as the starting rotation, is that the expectation now? Where they're gonna have to spend at least eight million dollars for the upcoming 2021 season if they want to get a starting pitcher that can at least get through 20 starts. I think so. You know, maybe like a guy like Garrett Richards might sign for a lower base with incentives given his lack of innings. Like I think with Kluber, he's probably accomplished enough to where he doesn't need to sign that kind of deal, uh, even with the injuries he's had. Um, same thing with Quintana, you know, his injury being such a fluke. And, and uh, you imagine that uh, you know, dishwashing isn't a chronic issue, so he should be fine, uh, you know, going to uh, Joe Madden and giving him 170 innings. So that's fine. But I think, you know, depending on uh, the kind of pitcher they sign and, and the injury history, you might be able to sign for a lower base and, uh, you have some incentives to get them maybe up to that $8 million contract level. But yeah, it's it's nice to see players getting paid reasonably. Like, you know, Quintana's contract was, you know, more or less fine. I think that was a bit under the uh, fan graphs crowdsourcing and the MLB trade rumors uh, projection. I think they had him for like $11 million. On the other hand, they had, uh, you know, George Springer for a little bit less, like $22 million. Um, AAV, same thing with Brantley was a little bit short. So they're, they're kind of hovering, you know, on, on, you know, within the standard deviation of uh, their contract expectations. So it's, I think 8 million at this point in the winter means that maybe the price will come down a little bit, but I think the White Sox, if uh, it is the right pitcher and if they don't really just want to uh, handcuff themselves and, and, you know, risking getting what they pay for, then I think, uh, you know, they do have the wherewithal to add, that kind of salary, assuming that, you know, backup catcher costs a fraction of that. And before we sign off here on this version of the podcast, the update on Trevor Bauer, we're getting as far as reports via Twitter from the national writers that the Los Angeles Dodgers have entered the market because that's one thing the Dodgers need more Jim is another elite starting pitcher to add to their staff. And, uh, man, <laughs> What a way to counter what San Diego has done. I mean, San Diego has done so much. We haven't even talked about that. San Diego acquiring Joe Musgrove from the Pittsburgh Pirates. So San Diego has completely rebuilt their starting rotation in a single offseason and still not still having seven prospects in the top 100 for Baseball America, by the way. Uh, just absolutely ridiculous on the amount, the great depth that the San Diego Padres have in their farm system to be able to trade from. But if the if the Dodgers sign Trevor Bauer, Jim, on their already loaded team, I, I would feel bad for Padres fans because right now you have hope that you can go toe-to-toe with what they have done. But if the Dodgers added Bauer, I, I still get I would have to give the Dodgers the edge. Well, I think it's a nice kind of way to wrap up our, our discussion on in the, in the previous segment talking about um, just – the Dodgers, you know, how much depth have they added? How many prospects have they blocked? How many rotation spots have they crowded out over the years just by signing um, players on deals they find palatable or just think would be interesting or signing a, you know, like a Japanese player who caught their eye, you know, you know bringing him over, you know, winning the posting uh, fees from the NPB. Just, uh, you know, they have a ton of, roster jams and they've had to manipulate the injured list in order to accommodate all these players and then eventually they've had to trade some of them away because they can't give them the innings or plate appearances they need but they always make it work and they always win the NL West and uh, they they always make the World Series too and 
that's I think what I'm getting is that like if you think about signing a guy and thinking like we're gonna block Andrew Vaughn, we're gonna block Yoelki uh, Cespedes or Oscar Colas in uh, a year or two, just like that's just it's uh, I guess it's a way to look at it, but just when you see what the Dodgers do and if the Dodgers sign Trevor Bauer, just like that just shows that. Too many good players is a blessing, no matter what shape it takes, no matter what position it hits, and just be glad it's happening. Ten million, White Sox. That's it. That's all we're asking. Spend ten million more. Get another starting pitcher. Get a backup catcher that could actually catch and actually play the position. I think that would go a long way to enhancing this roster. And we'll see if the Chicago White Sox do make any moves. Again, we... We shall see, and uh, we we will be holding our breath, and hopefully the White Sox do have uh, some moves up their sleeve, but there's still some key free agents out there. We mentioned Trevor Bauer, Marcel Azuna still needs a home, JT Real Muto still needs a home. There are some key free agents still that we will be waiting to see where they end up, and who knows, maybe we got some more trades in the mix around Major League Baseball. When they do happen, we'll podcast about that soon for with you guys so again thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this edition of the socks machine podcast a couple of promotional items we do have socks machine shirts that you can purchase on the website socksmachine.com i just shipped out another one they are just 25 dollars, and it includes shipping and you can add a swag pack which adds socks machine stickers and magnets and our socks machine coasters to add to your bar kit uh, so if you are interested in supporting us that's one way you can do it is to go to our online store on socksmachine.com you could also support us as well on patreon.com slash socksmachine where you get an ad-free version of the show you get additional content on the podcast you get an opportunity to ask po socks questions to jim which he writes those columns uh, during the off season just for our patreon supporters so again if you enjoy your work and you want more from us go to patreon.com slash socks machine and sign up today you can subscribe to the socks machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts especially like apple podcasts and if you do there please rate and review as far as our podcast we greatly appreciate the feedback and the Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.